0: Well, good morning, everybody. How are we? Good. Uh, so I've known I'm gonna be. Uh, I was gonna be speaking on this weekend for a few weeks now. And uh, have you ever heard like someone like tell you like, um, you know, if you're being obedient to God, it's like the devil has like a target on you, and so like if you're trying to be obedient, you get attacked. I, I'm a little skeptical, and so I'm like, yeah, I don't know about that. Um, so as I've been preparing, this has been a crazy few <laughs> weeks. Um, I had like. Uh, this really bad, what do you call like plumbing thing go on at my house and like all, like all the sheetrock fell down and like it's going to be like $4,000 to fix it. I'm like, okay, I still got to prepare my sermon. And then like a few days ago, I had this horrible, I don't have nightmares a lot, but uh, I had this nightmare that I showed up late to this. I walked in the door, <laughs> I walked in the door when it was like, like announcement time, and I'm like, oh man, I'm going to be like, okay, okay, I could still make it, and then we had like a, we had like a backstage, and uh, like, so while announcements were going on, I was getting ready backstage, and I was like, where are my notes? I can't find my notes. And I started looking for my notes. And then they introduced, and here comes Winston. And I'm like, I don't have my notes. I don't have my notes. And so I stayed back there. And then Tim came up here and just told you guys jokes for like 20 minutes while I was looking for my, my notes. And then I'm like, it's been 20 minutes. That's basically my whole sermon. And so I woke up. Uh, and man, emotion, Like, Okay, so when I say I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to finally be here. Maybe the target will be off my back and I won't be attacked anymore. So um, I'm thankful to be here with you guys. As we jump into um, the sermon this week, uh, I want to kind of talk to you about myself a little bit. I have known for maybe just a few years that I'm quite the perfectionist. Any other perfectionist in the room? What's going on, y'all? Man, my people. Um, I, uh, and how many of you have heard of the Enneagram? The Enneagram? Okay, awesome. So the Enneagram is this personality test. And uh, if you're like me at all, again, skeptical, you take the personality test and it's like, okay, does this really mean anything? Is it just going to put me in a box? Or like, you can't define me. <laughs> like, and so, um, but a friend of mine who I really trusted encouraged me and a few others to take the Enneagram. And this test that we took Uh, When you take the Enneagram personality test, it gives you a number, and this number correlates to a certain personality type. But this test gives you, uh, like when you go through the test, you answer all these questions, and then it gives you a a few suggestions of your possible numbers. And so I scored really high in three, Enneagram number three, Enneagram number eight, and Enneagram number one. And so I read Enneagram number three, I'm like, uh, not really. Then I read Enneagram number eight, and I'm like, uh, kind of. And then I read Enneagram number one, and just I just cringe on the inside. It's like it read my mail. I'm like, ugh. And I'm like, maybe this is me. And the guy who told me to take it, oh, i flying here. Um, the guy who told me to take it was like, okay, that's one of the signs that, okay, this is probably your Enneagram number. Like, you cringe on the inside because it's like it's like reading you very clearly. And so, uh, it's, so Enneagram num- number one is the, the perfectionist. And so, uh, but still, at the same time, I kind of wanted to put it to test, and so I just kind of go on about your life to see, okay, am I really a perfectionist? This is what the thing says, I don't know. Um, So fast forward maybe a year or two, and this is probably actually a year or two from today. Um, I was over at Pastor Tim's house, and we were just hanging out, sitting down, and then his son Samuel um, was uh, sitting down playing with Legos. And I absolutely love Legos. I like grew up playing with Legos. And so even as an adult, like Samuel playing with Legos, I'm like, yeah, I'll help. <laughs> you know, let me go play. <laughs> and, uh, and so uh, I sit down with Samuel. We're building like a car or something. I don't really remember. But all I remember is Samuel, like we're, we're building it. And then Samuel hands me the stickers. You know, because some Lego sets come with stickers and you have to put the the decals on for the race car or whatever. And uh, all I remember is taking the stickers from them and like this, I'm like, you put the stickers on? Just like that. Like, you put the stickers on? And two things came to mind immediately. One, why did I give this poor kid the death stare out of nowhere? We're just building Legos. Calm down. And then two, I had this flashback to when I was a kid. And I was building Legos. I was sitting in my room, and I had, like again, probably like a race car or some car or something, and it had decals, the stickers. And like I remember taking the door of the car where the sticker had to go, and I'm like so meticulous, so slow, trying to get it absolutely perfect, like the perfect perimeter around the outside. It couldn't be crooked at all, and no bubbles or anything, and all this work. and Nice. Okay, I got it. I did it. I I still have like this other side to go and I'm like oh man they have to match they absolutely have to match and so I try and the first stick it's like crooked I'm like no and I peel it off and the second one it has a bubble and I'm like oh god please and then the second one uh, like the third time I try I like take the sticker off and you know how like some stickers like separate and it leaves that absolutely awful paper sticker designers come on Uh, this like awful paper on the and I'm like I may as well just throw out the whole thing. There is no point in keeping this Lego set. And so like all in that, so, so then like fast forward to me, I'm sitting with Samuel, like, whoop, and I'm like, have the stickers in my hand. And I'm like, okay, maybe I've been a perfectionist for a while. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I can kind of see this now. Um, and so uh, in some ways, I kind of embrace it now. But, but honestly, when it comes to my relationship with the Lord, if I can be super honest with you guys, I think my perfectionism, is one of my biggest hurdles to obedience with the Lord. My, like the, the, it, it's like, there's this constant dialogue in the back of my mind that says, if I can't get it right, is it really worth trying to do? If I, can't, if I don't have like all the information or if I don't have time to plan or if I don't have time to, is it really worth all the effort it would take to be obedient? Maybe I'll just ditch on this obedience for now and he'll call me to be obedient in something else that I can actually do, that I can calculate, that I can say, okay, yes, I can do this perfectly. Thank you, God, for asking me to do this. And so uh, my question to you today is, uh, why aren't you obedient? It's kind of a big step from like building Legos. I thought you were talking about Legos, now you're asking me why am I disobedient. (laughs) But really, what is it for you? Is it um, like when you, when you consider your relationship with the Lord and maybe your priority of, of obedience to Him, and then you think of the times where He's maybe called you to, to do something and you, and you haven't done it. And I, I think uh, if we could all be honest, I think that's all of us in the room, okay? Where the Lord has called you to do something and you haven't done it, or you knew the right thing to do and you chose to do the other thing, Why? So maybe, maybe for some of you there's like this fear of change, right? That, that mean I have been consistent for a long time or I've been building up to something and, and the idea of obeying the Lord in my head means that I have to change my whole lifestyle or, or I have to change my appearance or just change in general. And so maybe for you change is really difficult and that's this huge hurdle in your obedience to the Lord, or maybe for some of you, uh, you fear that God is going to ask you to do something really weird. <laughs> like, oh, man, obedience looks really weird. Okay, all right, here's my story of, like, why this couldn't be another reason for my uh, my disobedience. My dad, um, I hope he doesn't listen to this. He probably is. Sorry. <laughs> um, my dad, okay, does anybody know what a tract is? Okay, we got a few. Okay, so a tract is, like, this little booklet, and it's like it ha- it's, like, the... And it usually has like, at least the ones that my dad would pass out had like questions like, do you know where you were going to go if you die right now? Or like all these like really intense questions on the front and there's like flames and horrible graphics and like, but then you open it up and it's like, uh, you know, it's, it's like the, the basics of the gospel. It's like this, it's, it's, it, it's the gospel. So it is this cool tool, but um, my dad would hand it out to people at like the worst times like we would be in the Wendy's drive-thru getting like a junior bacon cheeseburger and this poor girl who's making like five bucks an hour, he's like, do you know where you're doing when you die? And she's like, I don't know, here's your burger. <laughs> like, and it's like this, this really awkward moment and then not that there's anything wrong with handing out tracks, I guess, but it's like, please dad, any other time than right now, don't, this is so embarrassing. And so in some ways when I think of obedience to the Lord, I'm like, Dude, is he gonna make me hand a poor person a tract in like the middle of like this really awkward moment? Um, and so maybe, so maybe that's you. Maybe there is this fear that God is going to ask you to do something a little odd or a little weird, and that uh, hinders your obedience to Him. And maybe uh, you don't have a problem with obeying. You have this awesome reputation of being Christ-like, and so for you, maybe it's pride. <laughs> Maybe it's pride in your ego that you, you think you're doing it perfectly, and so you don't see that there's this this thing of like, oh, I need to take a real look at myself. Am I actually being obedient to the Lord? So, when we, so we're going to jump into uh, John. We're, we're still in John 8. We're going to jump into John 37. And as we read through this, I want you to keep that question in the back of your mind. Maybe you have that answer. Maybe you know that roadblock for you in your obedience to God already. But keep that question in the back of your mind. Why am I disobedient? What is the thing that keeps me from wholeheartedly obeying the Lord? And uh, I, I've gotta tell you guys, I really, I messed up uh, the slides today um, really bad, and so they don't work. So uh, you're, you're gonna need <laughs> like your, your, your Bible app on your phone if you wanna follow along, or your Bible. Um, so sorry, you're just gonna get to stare at this the whole time. Um, so uh, again, we're going to be in John eight thirty seven, and then uh, if you would too, if you have a Bible, um, just put a uh, just hold hold a spot in Genesis uh, twenty two as well. We're going to be there as well. Um, so before we jump into this, a little context or a little backstory, a little bit. Um, Jesus has been talking with these uh, religious Jews, these religious leaders, this group. Of people, And he has just said this kind of famous thing that we all know that he says, whom the son sets free is free indeed. And their response is sort of interesting because they say, our father is Abraham. Whom the son sets free is free indeed, but our father is Abraham is the response. So basically they have this idea in the culture, this, this difference between uh, slave and free has a lot to do with whose kid you are, it's sonship, it's... it's, uh, And so basically what they're saying is, but we know who our father Abraham is, so how could we be a slave to anything because we're already in? Jesus is saying you're a slave to sin, and they're saying, well, if we were a slave to sin, we wouldn't know who our father is because a slave doesn't know who his father is. And once a slave is in the house, then they are a slave, they're not a son. And so basically, this is where we're picking up in the story. Verse 37, this is what Jesus replies. He says, look, I know that you guys are offspring of Abraham. So basically he's saying, look, I know a lot, like you guys are great at genealogies. I'm sure that the blood of Abraham probably flows through your veins. I get it. Then he continues. He says, yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. So Jesus here is now arguing the difference between a physical relationship to Abraham and a spiritual relationship with Abraham. He continues in verse 38. He says, I speak of what I have seen my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. And they answered him, Abraham is our father. Like, okay, well, let me re-explain this. Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works that Abraham did. And so he's really making it clear. Look, I am not talking about bloodline. I am talking about something else. Verse 40, he continues. He says, so so he says, if you were Abraham's kids, you'd be doing the stuff that he did, but you seek to kill me, and I'm a man who has told the truth that I have heard from God. This is not what Abraham would have done. So here, I believe Jesus knows something that the crowd has forgotten. In Genesis 18, talking about this promise that God has made to Abraham, and this is why like they believe that they are children of the promise because of this promise that God made to Abraham long ago, that he would bless him and he would uh, make him fruitful, um, And all his descendants would be so. But they have forgotten this thing. They've believed that it's just about a bloodline. It's just about pure relationship. However, Genesis 18, 19 says, I have singled, this is God talking about Abraham, I have singled Abraham out so that he will direct his sons and their families to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. Then I will do for Abraham all that I have promised. So here, it seems like this promise is conditional based on Abraham's walk with God and his descendants' walk with God. I am going to bless you as long as you continue to walk in righteousness before me. And so here in this moment, Jesus is disproving the relationship to Abraham Because he says, man, you guys have forgotten this really important part of the promise. You've forgotten this really important part of actually being related to Abraham and Abraham being your father. Is that Abraham walked in righteousness and that's what the promise followed. However, you guys are not walking in righteousness so Abraham couldn't be your father who is your father. And this is a really big deal for them. We're gonna see later that this crowd is gonna get really angry because they have so much identity wrapped up in this, and their whole culture is wrapped up in this. Verse 41. Jesus says, You are doing the works your father did. So Jesus is saying, look, don't don't worry, I I know you guys have a family. You guys actually remind me of someone. The devil. But what I love about this, though, is that uh, I, I at this moment I think Jesus isn't actually intending harshness. Does any, anyone have a, a friend good enough to tell you the truth and it hurts? I kind of like get you a friend like that, because because in some ways I feel like the, the Jesus is hinting at this thing. Look, you're not Abraham's kids, but I know whose kids you are because you act like your father. And in some way, I would like to think that Jesus is not being harsh and he's not being rude, but he is offering, he is giving them dignity and respect and saying, I would love it if you guys could, could figure this out for yourself, that you would repent, you would turn, you would realize what you're doing is wrong and that you might switch families, you might switch fathers. Verse 41 continues, and they said to them, now, we aren't born of sexual immorality. We have one Father, even God. And so now, here what I, here's what I think is happening. I think they're getting a little frustrated, and here come the insults. So I think what they mean by we're not born of sexual immorality is they're basically saying, now, Jesus, wasn't there something a little fishy about your birth? Wasn't your mom pregnant with you before things with her and Joseph were Super official. Now look, why should we listen to you? We aren't born of sexual immorality. We know who our father is, even God. The story of Jesus' birth has followed him his whole life. In 42, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, now look at this, he, I love that he completely ignores this insult. He doesn't even give it the time of day. He just continues right past it. He said, straight to the point, Jesus says to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord. Like it wasn't just by myself. I didn't decide all of a sudden. Me and God decided I was going to be here, but he sent me and we are here. Why do you not understand what I say? Is it because you cannot bear to hear my word? So here in verse 42 and 43, Jesus is making, uh, like he is this master arguer, or (laughs) there's probably not a word, but (laughs) um, he is like, uh, so one, he has already disproven that they are not kids of Abraham because they would have acted like him. Now, second, they claim to be children of God, but here he deconstructs that by saying, I know God, I've seen him, I've been with him. And the things that you need to know God is one, you need to love me. Now all Christians have this thing in common that we love Jesus, that we love his kingdom and his cause and his purpose, and we act like him. We follow him in our actions, in our attitude, in our heart because this is the truest evidence of our relationship to God. And so one, he says, look, I know the Father, If you knew the father, if the father was your dad, you would love me. And second, he says, it's this interesting phrase in the Greek. He says, basically, you don't understand what language I'm speaking. If we're a part of the same family, you would know the language of truth that I'm speaking. However, I've been speaking truth and it hasn't been landing. So tell me what language you're speaking. You know, I I think there is this, um, just for a second here, take 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 it aside. When When we think about this life, this being our one life, think of it as this almost like a probation period, okay? This is our one life, you and me, right here, right now, that we have the opportunity to show did we love Christ or no. And the way that we show we love Christ, what does Jesus say later on? If you love me, you would do what I say. This is our opportunity. I was, um, uh, I'll phrase it in another way, I was actually scrolling through Instagram and saw this guy talking about this, I'm like, oh, I'm gonna use that. Um, he, he talks about, uh, he's a worship leader, and he's talking about this, um, you know, we, we're, we're familiar with this phrase, bringing a sacrifice of praise to God. Have you heard that before? bring a sacrifice of praise. He kind of talked about it in the sense of this is our only moment to bring God a sacrifice of praise because once in heaven, we're not giving up a thing. It's no longer a sacrifice. We're not letting go of anything. And so in a very real sense, this is our proving ground. This is our testing ground. Did we love Christ or no? Did we bring a sacrifice of obedience? Because if we're all waiting for heaven, there is no sacrifice to be given. This is our moment. This is our time to bring the sacrifice of praise and live obedient lives. And so here in verse 44, Jesus makes it painfully clear to his listeners. Verse 44, he says, "'You are of your father, the devil.'" And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer. Don't you guys want to kill me? Don't you guys want to kill me? He was a murderer from the beginning. And he doesn't stand in the truth because there's no truth in them. In him. I've been telling you the truth this whole time. And you aren't understanding my speech. You aren't understanding the things that I say. Do you know what language you're speaking if you're not understanding truth? He says when he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. Now, here, having disproven the relationship not only to Abraham and not only to God, he makes it clear, okay, you are... Sons of the devil. And what I, what I actually like about this is that Jesus doesn't say, you're kids of the devil and then moves on. I think there's a lot of mercy and there's a lot of grace in the fact that he took his time to describe what the devil is like and he says, do you not see the similarity? Do you not see this? I'm not just name calling. Do you not see the similarity between you, between the devil and how he acts and then how you act? Verse 45 He continues, because I tell you the truth and you don't believe me because you only speak in lies. Verse 46, which one of you convicts me of sin? Oh, please tell me. Like if you had anything to stand on to disprove that I am who I say I am, please tell me, convict me of something. But if I tell the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever is of God hears the word of God. The reason why you do not hear him the reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. And you know how like uh, when toddlers get angry? Have you seen an angry toddler? They don't have like the ability to reason very well and so they just get like, they name call and they like get violent. This is what kind of happens. <laughs> Verse 48, the Jews answered him, are we not right in saying that you're a, beep? a Samaritan? It's this racial slur basically. <laughs> Are we Are not right in saying that you're a Samaritan, a half-breed, and you have a demon? Verse 49, Jesus answered, again, notice he just ignores the insult. I don't have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet, I do not seek my own glory. There is one, though, who seeks it, and he is the judge. And basically, so this, this verse, verse 50, I'll read it again. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. I feel like glory has kind of like lost its meaning in our day. Like, I don't really know. There's not a whole lot of context where glory comes up outside of Christianity. or, or uh, And so, like, I was trying to think of like a way to like, uh, just trying to think of, of it from, from different angles to help me understand. And think of it like... Um, a review, like Amazon reviews, okay? If I write my own review, you're not gonna trust it. It takes other people to write the review, and you're like, oh, okay, maybe he's legit. <laughs> this is the same thing that Jesus is saying. He said, if I was to write my own review on Amazon of how great I am, you wouldn't believe it. Rightfully so. But my father is the one who writes the review. It's not just coming from me. Look at the works that he is doing through me. Look at the truth that's being spoken to you. The review has been written. I have this kind of funny story about uh, reviews and uh, why they're really great. Um, this is like 2006, 2007. Um, <clears throat> and my dad and I go to Best Buy. Uh, this is when PS3, the PS3 came out. And the, P- this, like, the thing that was special about this PS3 is it played Blu ray. Uh, you may, like remember Blu-ray discs? It was like 1080p DVD. I'm like, oh nice. Um, and so uh, we we walk in, and my dad is not a spontaneous guy, so <laughs> um, I don't like this story is still kind of weird to me. I should ask him what the heck was going on. Uh, but uh, so we so we go in, and he gets a PS3. I'm like, okay, nice. And then he gets like, what, what do we get? We get like Planet Earth on Blu-ray, and then like a few other movies, and then we get to the checkout thing, and man, when I tell you, dude, he was sweating so much from his face. He like took this rag out and wiped his face. It was like a thousand dollars. Just all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he buys this PS3 and then all these like Blu-ray like videos and I'm like what in the world is going on and so then we get home but I'm like I'm not asking any questions I'm like stoked I'm gonna get the PS3 that's cool cool and so we get home I plug it all in um, and my dad is sitting there I mean because he bought it all he's like this looks so good this is amazing isn't it and I'm like well our TV isn't capable of HD so this looks exactly the same to me. Sorry. (laughs) And so I think, like, even my mom was like, yeah, I don't see a difference. (laughs) So we spent all this money on, like, this, like, HD stuff, and, like, our TV couldn't even show stuff in HD. So uh, I don't know how that fits into, like, what I'm talking about. Reviews are really good. Reviews are super important. If my dad would have read the reviews, maybe it would have been a little bit better. <laughs> we would have we've gotten the right thing or maybe a brand new TV, I don't know. But basically what Jesus is saying, the point that we need to glean from this is that Jesus is not saying, look, if I was just saying that I am who I am by myself, discredit me, that's understandable. However, you have to face the fact that it's God and me Proving to you who I am. And so in verse 51, he continues. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, if anyone is obedient to me, remember Genesis 18? That promise. Hey, if the promise continues on you, Abraham, if your your family follows me in, in righteousness and follows the way of the Lord, then I will continue my blessing through you. Jesus says, if anyone keeps my word, I will bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you. This isn't in the text, but this is basically expounding upon the idea of what Jesus is doing here is he is taking the promise of Abraham and he's making it better. Because he adds this thing, he says, and he will never see death. So not only am I going to bless you forever and multiply you and you're going to be a blessing to be a blessing to be a blessing, but you will never see death. Re- thus reinstating this promise that, a- that God made to Abraham all those years ago, saying, if you act like me, you are a son, and you're just going to see, <laughs> you're going to pass over this death once into eternal life. So understandably in verse 52 the Jews says, now we know you have a demon because it's clear that Jesus is making himself greater than Abraham. Now we know you have a demon. Abraham died and so did the prophets and yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he's never gonna taste death. And what's really sad about this is that they are so set in their ways, they're so set in their unbelief, that they miss out on this wonderful opportunity to take on, to embrace a promise greater than their father, Abraham. Instead, they stay shallow and petty, and they just want to fight. Also, it's pretty clear that they are beginning to understand what Jesus is saying. They continue, verse 53. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? And Jesus answered again, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. If I write my own review, it's worth nothing. But it's my father who glorifies me. Of whom you say he is our God. So you should probably know. 55. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I didn't know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Again, reflecting verse 51. The best proof of our acquaintance with God is our obedience to him. Verse 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. We're going to come back to this. This is probably like one of like my favorite nuggets or whatever, <laughs> like the cool things in all of scripture. Um, But the question we have to ask ourselves was, uh, when did Abraham ever see Jesus? And specifically, why did it make him glad? But moving on, now it's plain to see that he is asserting his greatness over Abraham and his relation, his close relationship to God. And so the Jews say to him, what in the world are you talking about? You're not even 50. And you say you've seen Abraham and Abraham has seen you? What, what in the world? Like who, what, is it even worth talking to this guy? Verse 58, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. This is a massive moment. This is a huge claim that Jesus has just made. And I'll tell you why. Jesus is using the same language uh, from Moses. Do you remember the story of Moses in the burning bush where the Lord spoke to Moses? Moses. The Lord was sending Moses to set his people free and Moses is like, okay, this is all great. Thanks for the advice. Um, who do I say is sending me? The Lord spoke from the burning bush and said, tell them that I am sent to you. This is the, the first time that God has named himself. Tell them that I am has sent you. And so all in this moment, Jesus is equating himself with God. And he's not only saying, you know, Abraham, that that guy that you hold so highly, he's a creature and I'm the creator. I am. As uh, Revelation 13 says, long before Abraham, Jesus is the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world that it's always been Jesus it's always been him from before Abraham before the foundation of the world it's always been him now this great word that Jesus shared understandably ends the dispute abruptly verse 59 so they picked up stones to throw at him but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple I think there's something significant about this that that God left their midst, Jesus left their midst, and some of them never missed him. That seek in for a second, that Jesus was being so clear and so plain, they couldn't hear the truth, they couldn't change their ways to be obedient, and he left, and some of them never missed him. So what does this have to do with you and me today? How does this apply to our lives? Um, I want to stay on theme a little bit and go back to that Abraham looked and he saw my day and was glad. We're looking at Abraham who was obedient. This is Genesis 22. This is the story of Abraham and Isaac. And I think a lot of us know this story. This is where God calls Abraham to sacrifice his son. Um, but I think what's really fascinating, and, and I, I think this is like the pinnacle of Abraham's life, because if you remember, um, I think, I, I don't remember what it was, but there is this, I remember reading, and there's this really tender moment between Abraham and the Lord, and Abraham was being obedient, and the Lord said, what can I do for you? And Abraham said, I don't have, I don't have anybody, I don't have anybody to give my stuff to, would you give me a son? And then God makes this promise to Abraham that through his wife, he would have a son and that he would be blessed. And so all of Abraham's life is is looking forward to this and pointing to this. But the mystery here is that Abraham and Sarah, his wife, were too old, that they couldn't have kids. And so there is this mystery of how is God going to fulfill this promise. But in this miraculous way, Sarah actually does have a son, and they named him Isaac, and then in Genesis 22, verse 1, it says, After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son. Now what's interesting about this, he calls him his only son, but we already know that this is not Abraham's only son. Abraham already has one. So we already know something special is about to happen. He says, take your only son, your special son, your son of the promise, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains on which I will tell you. In verse four, it says, on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw the place from afar. Now stick with me on this. uh, I'm going to do my best, okay? Okay. This word afar is a really interesting word in Hebrew. Strong's definition says about it that it could be taken literally or it could be taken figuratively of time or of place. So Abraham looked and he saw the place from afar. Afar in time or in place. Now what's really interesting about this though is now look at the confidence with which Abraham speaks here in this next verse. I think something has shifted here. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. This word, um, and come again in Hebrew, is a plural word. Abraham is saying, I know God has asked me to go here and make a sacrifice, but I think I saw something, so me and my son are going to go up, and me and my son are going to come back to you. Wait here. And so the wood was laid on Isaac like the cross was laid on Jesus. And then verse 7, Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, there's, there's fire and there's wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering that we're going to do? And Abraham says something sort of interesting. Abraham says, The God will provide for himself, or the God has seen it. The God is showing it. And they both went together. Verse 13 Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, caught in a thicket by his horns was a ram. I thought Abraham said that God was going to provide a lamb, not a ram. Let me suggest something to you. Now, this is just my words, okay? I believe that Abraham, in his obedience to God, looked and he caught a vision of the Lamb of God taking away the sin of the world and with confidence he says, I am not sacrificing my son today because God is sacrificing his son. And so I can go in obedience and make this sacrifice and know that God is gonna provide because he has shown me and man, what's really fascinating about this is this Mount Moriah, some argue about this, but this Mount Moriah is the same mountain that, that, that David bought, that, that Solomon built the temple on that was destroyed, that, that this king now is now rebuilding in Jesus' day, and where was Jesus? He was in the temple. Could Jesus have been standing in a similar spot that Abraham was standing and said, you know what? I am greater than Abraham. Years ago, Abraham looked and he saw my day and it made him glad. Now, what's my point in this? It's a cool thing. Maybe it's true, maybe it's not. But I think what I know is true about obedience to the Lord is that the story starting with Abraham, continuing to Jesus, through on to our lives is not over. When we respond to God in obedience as sons and as daughters, as his family, I believe that God gives us this family treatment, that we see things, that we know things, that we are a part of the heart and the mind of God that obedience doesn't have to always be this scary over like overcoming thing obedience is just our natural outflow of being a part of his family it's something that we should all strive to do and all strive to be so my question again is why not obey why not obey him Not only is this our proof of our love for him, but look at the way he loves us in obedience. Obedience doesn't have to be this lonely one person on an island working your hardest with no benefit. Our God is a good God. Now, don't hear me uh, incorrectly. You cannot work to get into this family. This is the work has been done by Jesus himself. But my friends, once we're in, the work doesn't stop. We can't work to get in, but once we're in, we work. Our outside behavior has to reflect this inside Savior. It rhymes. Do you like that? (laughs) Our outside behavior reflects this inside Savior. You're a part of his story, and it's continuing even now. What are the things that God is calling you to in obedience, things that you have put off, the things that you're ignoring, the things that uh, have convicted you but you have calloused yourself or uh, the things that you're afraid to do because you, you're a perfectionist like me and you just can't do it if you can't do it right or you're afraid that God's gonna call you to change or make you look weird. Again, this is our one life. This is our one moment. Did we love him here or no? Did we show that we are a part of his family by our love through our obedience for him? This is our only moment to bring a sacrifice of praise to him. And so maybe some of you in the room are asking the question well, how do I obey? Good question. There's a whole Bible. Um, <laughs> I think there's a, there's a a lot of ways to obey the Lord, but I think the first thing is you have to know what Jesus did in order to act like Him and to be like Him. So one, if you're struggling with this question of well, what do I do with obedience? I understand now its importance. That I want to reflect that I am a child of God in my obedience. What do I do? Soak yourself in the life of Jesus. Read what it says about Him. Get around people who encourage you and push you to be more obedient to Him. Don't be satisfied with not trying to obey. Don't be satisfied with obedience not being a priority in your relationship with God. And now I don't want to leave any of you confused as to whose kid you are, and so the Bible makes it really clear that if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you're saved. And so if you said that prayer right now, welcome to the family, you're in, legitimately, seriously, you're in. Welcome in, (laughs) welcome in. You're a new creation. Don't stop there. So many of us stop at belief. Don't stop there. Continue in obedience. Be open to the idea that you will change into the likeness of Christ. Familiarize yourself with who he is, what he did, his heart. Again, another verse comes to mind that that Jesus has not left us as orphans to do this all on the own. He has sent his Holy Spirit to indwell us to indwell us. That's why we are able to be an outward reflection of an inward Savior. Can I pray for you guys? Lord, we are thankful for your word, Lord. Holy Spirit, we just, uh, we welcome you, God. Holy Spirit, I ask, Lord, would you do the work on the inside of us, God? Jesus, for for those of us in the room who who actually do really struggle with obedience or overcoming these these hurdles in our obedience to you, maybe it's our comfort or it's our fear or it's our, our perfection or whatever it is that is keeping us from pursuing you fully, Holy Spirit, would you address those things in our life, God? Would you lead us into obedience, Lord? Will we not be ashamed of you, or to be like you? And by this, God, will we will we prove that we are your your children, and our thankfulness of your your salvation? Will we live lives of obedience, Lord? In your name, Amen. I think um, my my uh, my first pastor, he would always say this this thing. You know, I think if if some of you in the room are aren't sure of like what your hurdle to obedience is, uh, he would tell us to pray this prayer. Uh, and he had this funny voice, I'm going to do it. He would go, oh God, show me what's wrong with me. <laughs> and as funny as it is, man, he loves to answer that prayer. So I think if there are areas in your life where you actually don't know where to start, how to be, how to be obedient, one, I would say, start with knowing the person of Jesus And two, I would say pray that prayer. Show me what's wrong with me. How can I be more obedient to you?